Today's episode brought me to Hong Kong, where I get to interview Pastor Dennis Balcom. And I first heard of Pastor Dennis years ago when I saw this documentary about miracles and signs and wonders. And Pastor Dennis was on there talking about just these wild stories of people getting healed and saved and delivered and set free and all that in China. And I just remember being so encouraged by his testimony from the documentary. And years later, when I would travel to China and minister to different house churches, I would hear his name being brought up, you know, on occasion by different pastors who were impacted by his ministry because of how he honors the Holy Spirit and how he makes room for the presence of God wherever he ministers. And to me, he is the ideal missionary. This guy did it the right way. And he gave himself to the language, the culture, and just set his sights on being faithful. And so I hope you all are encouraged just as I was. Pastor Dennis, you are a living legend to many of us in my generation. Uh, you've been a missionary in Hong Kong, China for over 50 years. How did you receive your calling uh, to be a missionary? And, and then how did you choose Hong Kong? How did the Lord lead you to come here? Well, I was brought up in a Methodist church. So every night I would pray. And when I was cybering, so I memorized Psalm 23. And so when I was religious, but not really in love with Jesus, yeah. to me it's just, well, we're in America, you're a Christian, yeah. you know? You go to church. Yeah. But when I was 16 years old, a schoolmate asked me, he said, um, does your church have miracles? And I said, all miracles ended in the days of the apostles. Well, he said, there are miracles. Well, why don't you come to my church and see? And you might even see a miracle. So I didn't have a car, but his father had a car. It was a long distance, about 45 minutes drive. In the Sunday school class, I heard people speaking in tongues. I didn't know what it was, oh. and a girl was speaking in beautiful French. We know oh. in California, a lot of people speak Spanish. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people, as a mother language, or you can learn a second language, you probably learn Spanish, That's not right. French. Yeah. And so uh, after the Sunday school class, I said, girl, how is it you speak such good French? You said you say I speak French. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know what language you're speaking? <laughs> oh, this is the Holy Spirit. Wow. Uh, when we receive the Holy Spirit, God gives us a gift to speak in other tongues. Yeah. And then uh, before the service, I was talking to people about this, and there was a man that he said, of course this is true. And so now I see that people are speaking in languages that they never had learned before. Yeah. And then also I saw them pray for some sick people and they were healed. And many people told me about cancers being healed, wow. blindness being healed, because this was part of the Pentecostal revival. It was in the Assemblies of God Church. Yeah. And so that made a real <clears throat> impact on me. Mm -hmm. But that night God called me to go to the ministry. I heard God speak to me so very clearly. I wanted to be a scientist. I done science and physics, but God said, no, I want you to come to the ministry. Well, I didn't want to do that. And I had all kinds of reasons. My family is very big. I'm the oldest of seven children. We don't have a lot of money. And so, you know, to go to the ministry, to go to seminary, and I don't have any money, and uh, my family can't support me. I'm a very shy person, you know. 
passionate <laughs> to be, you know, having friends and talking to people. Yes. We had all kinds of reasons. But the Lord said, no, you must go to the ministry. So this went on for three months. Every wow. night, the Lord would not let me sleep. He would speak to me. Wow. And I would get out of my bed and go on the street and walk for an hour or two and argue with the Lord. And then after three months, the second time that I went to the church, we got there late and the pastor's wife was leading the songs and uh, she was in some particular song. And then she said, the Lord told me, there's a young man that came here three months ago and God called him to the ministry. Wow. And you need to repent and give your life to go into the ministry. <laughs> if you don't, we're not going to sing any more songs. The pastor wow. will not sing. The choir will not, you know, the pastor will not preach. The choir will not sing until you repent. <laughs> well, so it seems like there was a strong prophetic spirit on that <laughs> that's church. That's right. That's wow, right. Wow. Very much. Yeah. <clears throat> I went forward and repented. And many people in the church came forward to pray. Oh. pastor never did preach. The choir never did sing. And they didn't even take the offering. But I gave my life to the Lord wow. to be a preacher. So, so, so you were 16 years old yeah, at this 16 time? 16 years old. Okay. Yes, okay. that's right. Yeah. And I didn't say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me. I said, Lord, I've been rebelling against you. Wow. I will go to the ministry. But I knew I could not stay in America because mm -hmm. there's churches everywhere. I need to go to some other nation. <clears throat> so I kept on praying and where should I go? So I was studying uh, for my school and there was encyclopedia. That was before we had internet, of course, you know, in the clothes. And there was a picture of a Chinese boy, black and white picture. And the Lord said very clearly, you need to go to China and tell them about me. Wow. And it was mainland China. It wasn't Taiwan, it was, it was mainland China. Yeah. So I just heard so very clearly that, okay, Lord, I will go to China, but you need to make a way. So, but at this time, China was closed. Oh, completely closed, you see. Yeah, and the Lord still spoke to you about yeah. mainland China when it was a closed That's nation. That's right, it was closed. And wow. so, after I received the call to China, which is just maybe two weeks after I gave my heart to the Lord uh, to be a minister, I went to Marjorie McKay, the pastor's wife. You know, the women are usually... And so she said, she said, Dennis, from the time I first saw you, God told me that you will be a missionary and go to China. Wow. And God will open the doors to wow. China, but it's not time now. Yeah. You need to go to Bible school, yeah. get an education and all this kind of a stuff. And the Lord will open the door. When I finished high school, I went to a Bible school. It was called then Southern California College. I was planning to study for four years, but I went to a church in Long Beach and there were prophets there. It was mainly a group of ministers, not one person. Mm -hmm. and they would call the people that wanted to be prophesied over to fast and to pray, and they would sit up in the front, and they would bring the people forward, and uh, as the Lord would speak, they would give a prophetic word to them. Now, mostly with the prophetic word was two things. It would confirm the call of God on your life. Yeah. Secondly, it would part gifts of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't talking about who's going to be the president or the next tsunami or yeah. economic collapse. It was like in Ephesians 4, chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 11, he gave apostles and prophets for the work of the ministry, for the yeah. edification of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So we had a whole bunch of these students that went and they called them up and one by one they prophesied. And I knew the students. How could it be that these people 
they've never seen them before, yeah. can describe in detail what God has been working in their life. See, so then I decided to join that church. Wow. You know, they had their own training. So I was in that church for several years, and then I was uh, trapped into the army. And I didn't want to go into the army because, you know, I'm preparing to be a minister. And I got a letter from President Johnson. I basically said, you are commanded to go to a certain place in Los Angeles. I was living in Long Beach before yeah, yeah. to go into the army. So we went there and all these guys, you know, were the recruits. And so the sergeant is speaking to us. He says, now you guys are being drafted in the United States Army. You're going to be in the infantry. You're uh -huh. going to be trained with weapons and go to... Vietnam as an infantryman. Maybe a lot of you will die. I don't know, you know, because it's a war. But if you don't want to go to the army, then please lift up your hand and we will take you to another room and charge you with avoiding the draft and you will be sentenced to go to prison for five years. So I'm thinking, well, two years I'll be, or five years in prison, yeah. I don't want that. So, <clears throat> so I went to the army and uh, I went to uh, Fort Bliss, I think it's in Texas, and was receiving military training. And then they sent me to Vietnam. The Lord was really very good to me. He protected me. I had bullets only few inches from my head, but I was never injured. You wow. get a purple heart. That's what you get if you, yeah. uh, you know, injured. You know? Yeah. And uh, I led many people to the Lord because I worked with the mess with the kitchen. But up and we get the surplus food that the Americas don't. You go into the villages mm -hmm. and give it to the people. And I learned a little bit of Vietnamese, and yeah. I got some Vietnamese tracts from the Christian Mission Alliance Church. I, I never took any bullets or any grenades in when I was out on patrol. I refused to do it, and because I'm not going to kill anybody. Wow! And so the sergeant, his name was Sergeant Wells, was very angry at me. How dare you? It's so dangerous. You need to take bullets and grenades. No, I'm not, because I'm not going to kill them, but I'd rather them kill me. If they kill me, I'm going to go to heaven. Yeah. If I kill them, the guy will never go to heaven. Yeah, he will yeah. be lost, you know. They, and I said, and they said, you're crazy. I said, no, I'm not crazy. I said, you guys are crazy. And I said, what do you mean? Why are you here in the first place? We don't know. The government told us to come. Yeah. Well, I know why I'm here. I'm here because God said you to preach wow. the gospel. You know? <laughs> but the one thing I want to emphasize is, about the work of the Holy Spirit. See, all these years, the Holy Spirit has been moving. The word of knowledge to the yeah. pastor's wife and God speaking to me. And by the way, at least four or five different people that had prophetic ministries did not know me, mm -hmm. confirmed that I would go to China. So uh, I was in Vietnam, but you have a period that's called rest and recuperation, R&R. &R. Mm -hmm. so, you can take a military plane to one of several cities mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's not a like a jet luxury liner it's just yeah, a yeah. military plane you're all sitting there on both sides you yeah, know it's like a cargo plane. yeah cargo plane yeah, yeah, yeah. you know about the cargo plane but uh, you can choose Bangkok, Taipei, Tokyo, even Hawaii or Hong Kong yeah well Hong Kong that's great you know that's Close to China, it's yeah. other part of China. I want to go to Hong Kong. Yeah. So I wrote to a missionary. His name was Paul Collins, and he said, "If you ever come to Hong Kong, please look me up." Now, so I wrote to him saying, "I'm going to be in Hong Kong, but I didn't have any address or phone number. That was before Facebook, yeah. before cell phones. Yeah. 
I just had a P.O. box. Yeah. Well, he never wrote back. Uh-huh. Now, he received my message. Okay. And, but by the time he received it and read it, it was too late to write back. Yeah. So I'm just praying, Lord, I hope I can find Paul Collins. Now, the time that I was in Hawkeye, there were riots, mm-hmm. really bad riots, like 50 people were killed, hundreds were injured. Is because of the Cultural Revolution in China yeah. and it spilled over into Hong Kong. Eventually those riots are put down. But no one knew that at that time. No one knew yeah. what was going on and it looked bad. So almost all the missionaries had left. Many of the churches had closed down because it looked like it was finished for Hong Kong. Okay. And the reasons the riots began was because they put up the ferry charges. It used to be like five cents, they put up the ten cents. And uh, you know, so when I was there, uh, the downstairs, which is the third class, is 10 cents. Hong Kong, not yeah. US dollars. Yeah, you know? yeah. Upstairs is 20 cents. Yeah. Now, for an American, that's not nothing at all, you know? Yeah. But you're a young guy and you want to save money. Yeah. So I'm going to go downstairs, you know, because I can save some money and yeah. you still see the scenery. So this man, Paul Collins, comes and sits right beside me. And the first thing he begins to prophesy. You know, before he said, how are you? Mm-hmm. What an amazing thing to see you here. He began to prophesy. And he said, it looks very bad in Hong Kong because of the riots and what's happening in China. And a lot of people thought that China would take back Hong Kong at that time. Mm-hmm. And actually, there were some Red Army units that rushed the border. But he gave a prophecy that's very important that even I hold it this day. He said, the Lord has chosen Hong Kong to be a base to evangelize all of mainland China till Jesus returns. Wow. You see? So that was in 1967, uh, he told me that. Yeah. So he comes and sits down right beside me, you know? Wait, so how did he find you? What's the story well, behind Well, it? the Holy Spirit met him. Wow. You see, the Holy, he was led of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know. Yeah. Was, you know, he's just going and getting on the and he wanted to save money too, so he came and sat down and he came and I don't know, he came and sat right beside me. Wow. See, so the Holy the Holy Spirit led him. But see later, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So anyhow he gave me he gave me this prophecy mm-hmm. and it's happened because there are many times that China could have taken back Hong Kong or yeah. done different things, but it hasn't. And they said that about Every year, about 60,000 people left Hong Kong. From 1983 to 1997, over 50% were Christians. Mm-hmm. You see, because Christians, they know what communism is like. They don't want to suffer. So the Christians of all the people who should have been willing to stay, because yeah. this is our nation, were the people that didn't want to stay. Yeah. But we found the ones that left were those who were not spirit-filled. Mm-hmm. Mostly, they were very strict evangelical, you know, like they preach, there's no gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Some even so extreme if you speak in tongues and maybe of the devil or something yeah, yeah. like that. Well, those were the Christians and the pastors that left. A lot of them were the pastors. So, come 1997, almost all of these anti-charismatic pastors have left. There was a few, but not very many. And so, who's going to take over the second generation, the young people you gave the church to? Well, those young people don't really care what happened in China you know, all those years ago. I'm not a pastor. I need to pastor these people. Yeah. So which are the most successful churches today? Well, they're the spirit-filled churches, mm-hmm. especially yeah. the churches that have cell groups. First, they have the Jethro principles. You know, they have the, well, you have this 
is you have cells in the church, okay, mm -hmm. and you have a cell leader and an assistant cell leader, gotcha, gotcha. and they can meet in the time, but it doesn't have to be like a meeting. You might like have a picnic or go to a restaurant, mm -hmm. because the main reason for this kind of a cell church is to evangelize, yeah. not so much to teach the leaders. I see, you know, I see. Churches have many ways to teach people, you know, yeah. you have your Sunday school and your Bible school and your you know, yeah. new believers classes, but it's willing to evangelize yeah. and you do it through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, the gifts of the Spirit can work in many different ways. Mm -hmm. So what there's a place in Uncle called Temple Street, mm -hmm. okay? There's a big temple there mm -hmm. and there's a night market there. So we used to go and have meetings in the night market. In fact, one time, uh, Samuel Lai, who was at one time a drug addict and in prison was led to the Lord by Jackie Pollinger. Wow. So uh, what we did is there's a night market there and there's prostitutes and people selling drugs and all kind of counterfeit as well as normal mm -hmm. things that people are buying. So we would go into where the night market was and then uh, this pastor, Samuel Lai, would carry a cross and he just has a sackcloth on and you know so like Jesus is going to be crucified okay yeah. so we go through the night market and we beat the guy with these ropes and say crucify him crucify him so the people say what's going on yeah oh, oh we're going to crucify this guy you mean you're going to kill this man and help me yes you come and see so we go back to this big square right behind us is a temple mm -hmm. a Buddhist temple so we take him and we tie him up on the cross. Yeah. And then we put red paint, you know, like wow. he's moving. And then, of course, now we have a huge crowd of 500 people. Wow. And then they ask me to preach. And so they, they call us Guaido foreigners. So they see a Guaido that speaks perfect Cantonese preaching. Yeah. So the crowd even gets meaner. So he actually developed a very good church right beside the Temple Street. So there was a Presbyterian church right beside the square. Mm -hmm. And they, this was before it became really complicated with prostitutes. It was a nicer area before. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, the tribes, they come into the area. And so they had a very nice building, you know. It wasn't a separate building, but it was one large floor of one of the buildings. But then the whole population changes, and the Presbyterians are nice, nice people. Mm -hmm. They don't want to come to this place with triads and prostitutes, yeah. you know. So yeah. they sold the church to... Sam Lai was really an amazing thing. So this is really the Holy Spirit. And that's, you know, in, in your podcast or whatever, I think it'd be good to emphasize that. Yeah. So Lawrence Kong came and saw how they did evangelism. So if you go to that temple street, even now, every night it opens, they have fortune towers, many fortune towers. So how they do fortune telling is they have this a little container with sticks in it, kind of looks like chopsticks, mm -hmm. okay? So they will shake this container, and then one of them will fall out. Yeah. And they're not chopsticks, but they're some kind of a divination stick. Mm -hmm. So it has uh, some number, and the number refers to some Buddhist or Taoist scripture. Yeah. So they will then go and take the number and look up, oh, this is uh, your fortune. Well, you need to be careful about business, or you're going to get married next year, whatever, you know? Yeah. So that's how they do it. So what Samuel Lai and his people do, they're people all spirit-filled, okay? Mm -hmm. So they pray in the Holy Spirit, and they have, you know, fortune tower. So the people come by, and they pray, and the Lord gives them a word of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like, sir, I think that you're 
having a difficult time in your marriage, mm -hmm. you know? Your wife and your wife did a lot. Yes. How do you know? I don't know, but would you like to have your fortune told? Yeah. Okay. So they take out, you know, the container with the sticks uh -huh. and they shake it. And one of the chopsticks, the boards falls out. So, oh, oh, this happens to be a verse in the Bible, our holy book. Husbands, mm -hmm. love your wives, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, wow. they're able to share the gospel with yeah. people. Yeah. See, that's really practical. Mm -hmm. not, and a lot of times we just pray for the sick in the church, but let's go and pray for the sick on, this, on, the, on the street. Yeah. So, anyhow, <clears throat> so Norris Kong saw this, mm -hmm. you know. And he saw our ministry, you know, we're taking thousands of Bibles to China every few weeks, you yeah. know, and, and ministering all over China. And they saw Jack and Pollinger, who's helping these drug addicts. And, you know, more people come off of drugs after they felt the Holy Spirit than those that take methadone or any other thing. It's yeah. proven. So just to make a long story short, he saw the work of the Holy Spirit. Even his own church, like a lady came in and was demon-possessed, and he said, I did not cast out the demon, but the demon cast me out, you know, and I had to <laughs> make her leave, you know, I ran scared, you know, yeah, and yeah. That. but then the same lady went to the Pentecostal church and got set free. Yeah. See, so he needed the Holy Spirit. So he received the Holy Spirit and, uh, and began to preach that, but it caused a tremendous division in his church, you know, hundreds and hundreds yeah. of people left because, you know, we used to be a very conservative Baptist church. But then he, with Ralph Neighbor and his people, Ralph Winters, whatever, they developed the cell principle mm -hmm. where the cells basically are to evangelize, some teaching, but to evangelize through using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so they learned about the Holy Spirit. So because of that, unity came to Hong Kong after 1997. Mm -hmm. Really tremendous unity. And now we have maybe 1,400 churches. And there's wow. still a few that are anti-charismatic, but very few. Mm -hmm. And even those that are anti-charismatic, they still will sing, you know, Hosanna, yeah. Integrity, and these kind of songs, you know, and have more lively worship, you know, yeah. a little, little bit on the charismatic things, you know, yeah. because these are the only way that churches are going to grow. Yeah. So because of that, we've really seen unity come. And so, uh, so we, know we really want unity, but you'll never have unity over doctrine. I mean, different ways of baptize, yeah. different yeah. ways of church structure. But if we all agree to the basic evangelical fundamental mm -hmm. doctrines of the Bible, and yeah. I say, we're basically Baptist, yeah. we're basically a missionary alliance, we're basically a missionary, I want to say, evangelical free church. Mm -hmm. It's just that we believe there's a second work of grace, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, yeah. that is accompanied by speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. I see, I see. So, um, so, when, so what year was it when you... Uh, finally moved to Hong Kong and then what was your evangelism strategy like when you you know came because I mean I'm sure you had to learn the language yes. and I'm sure it was tough but yeah what was the process like for you to yeah preach the gospel and start to make disciples and then planting the church I knew it was called to China mm -hmm. well we couldn't go to mainland China so I came to Hong Kong it was in 1969 okay my church sent me out and uh, I said, I just need a one-way ticket, mm -hmm. you know, because I maybe don't ever come back, you know. Wait, so was there a commercial flight that... Oh, there were flights to Hong Kong even uh -huh. then, you know. From San Francisco yeah, so to Hong Kong? Yeah, to Hong Kong, you know. It was a small church, but the whole church came and welcomed me, you know. Yeah. Now, I had received the name and address of a missionary that was in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. 
So I landed in Hong Kong and went to visit this missionary, but she wasn't home. Mm-hmm. And it was up on like the 12th floor. So I walked up 12 floors, you know, oh. <laughs> in my suit with my luggage, and it was a very hot day. And I'm pushing on the doorbell and no one answers. Yeah. But the people right across, they said, what's going on? Now, I'd studied some Cantonese at uh, the Chinatown in uh, Oakland, and I said a little bit of Mandarin before that, and I understand a little bit of Chinese, and these people spoke a little bit of English, not very much, so we could still communicate. And they yeah. said, basically, well, this missionary has gone to Europe or something, we will not be back for six months. Well, what am I going to do? Yeah. This is the only contact I have. Wow. You know, but they saw me <laughs> come in, have a, you know, Yamcha, have a cup of tea, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever learned about bonding. You know, this is the principle. Yes, there was a guy called Thomas Brewster. He passed away. So he taught, he has this book called Bonding. It was actually published by the, uh, the, the World Center of Missions in Pasadena, you know, Fuller University, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And basically the idea, when you go to another nation, you don't want to meet the people from your nation, like Americans mm-hmm. and Koreans. Now, I had not read that book. I know nothing about that, but that was what happened to me. Wow. So for years, I didn't see any foreigners. I didn't go to their meetings. I was with the Chinese people. Wow. And so, uh, uh, so then they introduced me to a place where I can learn Chinese. It was a Chinese university. But they had a, a, a school right here in Kowloon. And so I went there and I took uh, three months of Cantonese study. Now, Cantonese, our Chinese, in fact, we have different tones, mm-hmm. okay? And how, how many of you are in Cantonese? Is there like nine tones? Yeah, well, there's actually nine tones, but there's, there's seven basic tones. Like, you know, so this is a phrase that means it's so funny a cow is climbing up the tree. Chun ho siu. Now, Sern Xu. They don't teach you any grammar because really there is no grammar in Chinese. There's no verbs to conjugate, mm-hmm. no past, present, future tense. There's no difference in the plural and the singular. Mm-hmm. There's only one pronoun. He, she, it is the same. Yeah. So there's really no grammar in Chinese, but there's tones. Mm-hmm. And you learn the tones. But what they do is they teach you sentence patterns. Mm-hmm. So you just say the right way enough, which is how children learn a language, you know? Yeah. And then you'll you don't have to decide, well, is this a pronoun, is this a noun, what is this particle of speech? You can't do that when you're speaking, so you just go over and over again. So I did that for three months, but I had no money to uh, continue. At that time, it was 1,700 Hong Kong, but there was a teacher who's a Christian and said, Dennis, I know you're a missionary. The best way for missionaries to learn how to speak the language is to learn from the Bible. Now, if you continue this course, even if you can afford it, you're going to be sent all kinds of vocabulary. But you already have the basis of speaking the language and the sounds and the tones. But a lot of the vocabulary will teach you will not use. And what you don't use, you will forget. Like the different animals, the different Mm -hmm. foods, you know, the different nations. But because you're a Christian, you're going to be using the Bible. I suggest you study the Gospel of John. So she had some notes on the Gospel of John. And uh, she actually was renting a room in a, a house in Kowloon Tong, and the landlord had another room vacant that I could rent from her. So if there was any questions, I could go to my teacher and ask her. I just studied the gospel and found for three months. Wow. So I've been in Hong Kong for a total of seven months. And so I could, I began speaking in Cantonese. Now, 
I, wow. I, I used to live in Kowloon uh, Town, but by faith I told the teacher, I'm going to be leaving this uh, place because I'm going to go and start a church. But that was very difficult to rent a room anywhere. It was the time that rents were not an expense they were possible. Yeah. So, so, but I'm looking for a place to live and also for a church. So we, uh, there was this place in Hong Kong Island. And so we called this lady up. Oh, well, what do you want to rent this for? What do you want to rent it for a church? Oh, praise the Lord. I was praying that. I am a Christian. And if you use this for a church, I will cut the rent. It was oh, 600 wow. Hong Kong dollars, yeah. which should probably, you know, today would be, you know, 20,000 or something. Yeah, least, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and, and but I'll give it for $500, wow. you know. Now, my church was sending me 100 US dollars a month. And that time the exchange rate was about 4.9 to one, you know. So for $100, it's $490. Yeah. Well, I can afford that. I don't have a church or nothing. Yeah. So, okay, and I was so happy to move there. But then I said, well, you know, I have a little problem. I said, where should I live? Well, we have a toilet, you know, that's right connected to this. It's an office and it's kind of long, but you maybe can live in the toilet. So you live in a bathroom? Yeah, I lived in a bathroom for two years, you know? <laughs> and so it was so great. So, so, so I began the church in October of 1916. And I'll give you the book with the pictures of that. It's, you know, about 500 square feet, I think. We could sit maybe 40, 50 people. But uh, so, so uh, I never had an interpreter. You see, in fact, First of all, when I came to Hong Kong, I want to know how do you be a missionary? What yeah. does missionaries do? That's so important. Yeah. So I went to the Missionary Alliance Church missionary. He was one of the head missionaries. And I said, do you have any advice to give to me? He said, yes. First of all, never take anyone from any other church. You need to build your own church. We yeah. don't like that. Yeah. A lot of these Pentecostals do that. They come and prophesy and yeah. you know take people from other churches. Yeah. And secondly, is you need to devote yourself to library study. Mm -hmm. You should not do any ministry until you're able to preach in wow. Cantonese. Wow. Because once you take on this commitment, maybe I'll come and preach in our church on Sunday, and then another commitment, first of all, you don't have much time to devote to the language. Yeah. And then because of that, you're never gonna really get into the language because you have interpreters. Mm -hmm. So you need to just not take any meetings. Not, you have to, of course, go to church and yeah. pray and everything, but don't take meetings and, and tell you learn the language. And if you just give yourself to that, you know, like Hudson Taylor and yeah. early missionaries, mm -hmm. you will be successful. So I took that advice. So so all those months, I didn't go to any um, other place to preach where there'd be an interpreter, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just went to other churches and I went to Chinese churches where there was no translation. Yeah. So, because now this is another part of my story living in the bathroom. The children would come by and talk to me all the time, and they would say, You must be very poor. Even our poor people don't live in such a small place. I said, Well, <laughs> I have a father, he's very wealthy. But the reason I'm living here is because I want you to be my friends. And can you be my friends? Yes. Oh, and I'm the only foreigner out of 60,000 people. The wow. only white guy in that whole area, you know? And so they even see white people, you know? Yeah. Oh, yes, we like to be your friend. And 
please, can you help me to learn Cantonese? This is very hard, you yeah. know? So, oh, yes, it'd be. So I would say, you know, uh, what is this? Uh, boy, this is a cup. Yeah. See? So I'm talking to the children all the time. But anyhow, I, I, I told my wife when she got married that, you know, I learned Cantonese in seven months, and I hope that you can learn it as soon as possible. So I gave her one year to learn Cantonese. <laughs> And I, I got married in 1971, yes. it was in April, and then 1972, April, I came to my wife and said, from now on, we're not going to speak any English. And wow. from that day to this day, we haven't spoken English. We only speak in Chinese all the time. Wow. And uh, her Cantonese is perfect too, and uh, she also learned a lot from the Bible. It was the same teacher that taught yeah. me, you know, helped the Bible. And we had two children, and I've never spoken English with them. I have a son who passed away in January of this year. But um, him, his name is Michael, but my daughter is called Sharon. So uh, she, she grew up speaking Cantonese. Now, uh, every pastor would hope that their children would go to the ministry. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be our ideal, especially a missionary. Yeah. But you can't force it on them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I told my daughter, we're Chinese. now. Because her and her brother, they're the only blonde, blue-eyed, white-skinned people in their school. Yeah. They're going to be, you know, harassed by the other Chinese students. Yeah. So she determined, I'm going to be more Chinese than you. You don't dare laugh at me. So she determined she'll be more Chinese than the Chinese. So wow. she learned pipa, which is a Chinese instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, she learned Chinese dancing. So. And then, so of course she grew up in the church and by five years old, uh, she was the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues with her brother. Wow. And, but you can't force your children to go to the ministry, but yeah. she was 15 years old. I took her to Hunan. You heard about Brother Yun, the yes, heavenly man, okay? Yeah, yeah. So that was the first time she saw him and we were having meetings and she would share her testimony and I would interpret for her into the Hua because at that time, very few people in Hong Kong spoke Putawa, Mandarin. So, so, so when did you learn Mandarin? Same time as Cantonese? No, or? So, uh, so now, you know, Chinese language, the written language is basically the Mandarin form. Yeah, yeah. Now, Cantonese does have a written form, but it's traditional people. Yeah. Chinese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, it's very hard to read the Cantonese written form because we don't use it very much. But I have my very Cantonese Bible. Mm -hmm. But when you learn Cantonese, as a Christian, you're going to learn the Bible, and you're basically learning the Mandarin form. So it's not the same, you know, it's the same characters, but spoken differently. So I determined to learn uh, Mandarin. It was about a, a year after I started learning Cantonese, because I knew that China would open. Yeah. And so when China did open, I could at least talk, you know. I'm quite fluent in Mandarin. Uh, I'm not fluent in things like ordering the food at the restaurant and some of the local expressions, you yeah. know, because I don't live where people speak Mandarin, yeah. but for teaching and preaching mm -hmm. and the Bible and history stuff, you know, I'm very right. fluent in that. And so I used to interpret for a lot of people, so I had to interpret for my daughter because she couldn't speak Mandarin. And then during that time, Brother Yun sees her in the meeting, not in the meeting, but she's going to the restroom or something, and he says, Sharon, you must pray for me. And uh, she knew then that he was the heavenly man, a man of God, a well-known pastor in China. Yeah. Well, Lois, you should pray for me, not me pray for you. No, no, you must pray for me, you know. Yeah. I, I need your blessing. And so 
she prayed with him, and God gave him a prophecy that you are going to be a missionary wow. to China. And so going back to uh, from Zhengzhou to Guangzhou, I remember it was very cold that day, and we cannot get a sleeping berth. We cannot get a seat even. Mm -hmm. But where they have the sleeping berth, they have chairs on the side, you mm -hmm. know, where you can sit there. You know, yeah. people then they go and sleep inside. Mm -hmm. We couldn't even get a seat. There were oh, no wow. seats. Just me, the trains are so crowded. Yeah. And it was freezing. And the window was broken and the ice and snow was coming in. But I remember my daughter shared, we're sitting there freezing. She says, Father, I know why you love the Chinese. I love the Chinese too. And after Brother Yun praying for me, I'm very clear that I'm called to be a missionary to China. Wow. And that, of course, was so very happy. I said, that's wonderful. I've been praying that for years, but you know, you need to learn Mandarin. Yeah. So uh, that was just the, she was in middle school, and I think two years after that, she graduated. And then she went to Taiwan the Bible school because yes. Cantonese is her mother tongue mm -hmm. that she could pick it up and within six months she's speaking very good Mandarin. Yeah. The main thing is you need to bond with the people. Yes. You need to identify with the people. Yeah. You need to respect them and their culture, which is what we did. Yeah. And also you need to go where the lost are, not mm -hmm. take people from any other church. Wow. So I went to the part of Hong Kong that basically was not evangelized. Wow. Now this part of Hong Kong is different right now, but it was the older part of Hong Kong. There are about 60,000 people, only two other small churches. One was the Baptist church that had about 20 people. One was the Lutheran church that had about 15 people. Very small churches. Yeah. Because the people that lived in this part of Hong Kong were very superstitious people from Guangdong province. They're called the Swatow people. It's on the eastern coast of Guangdong. If you go there, very superstitious. Mm -hmm. Buddhism is really, really big, and there's a lot of smuggling. Uh -huh. Now, these are the Chinese that you see in Thailand, and you see them in some overseas communities. Okay. Now, if they're Christians, they're very good Christians, mm -hmm. but if they're not Christians, they're quite often involved in drug smuggling, you know, the Golden Triangle mm -hmm. and all that kind of good things, yeah, you know, big yeah. old things, you know. In other words, whatever they do, they do very fervently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They So these people were extremely resistant to anything Western, especially to Christianity. So they're, they're Buddhists, very staunch Buddhists, you know. So how I got in that place is, and, and I'll just go back on this, I was working with the drug addict ministry and mm -hmm. helping become, it wasn't Jackie Pollinger, but was a ministry like that. Mm -hmm. So what you do is, there's a place called Kowloon Wall City. Mm -hmm. We heard about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he actually, this Kowloon Wall City belonged to China in the treaty of 1842 called the Nanshan Treaty. The British were given Kowloon, mm -hmm. right up to what we call Boundary Street. Yeah. But that was the only city. The rest was farming area. And so the Chinese said, this city belongs to us. You can, you know, have all the rest of them, but not this particular I city, see, because see. it's the only city that was in Kowloon. Yeah. Kowloon was a peninsula. Yeah. So eventually, the city developed around the Kowloon city, mm -hmm. you know, just became a part of Kowloon. Yeah. But the British could not do anything. They could not go into it because it belonged to China. Yeah. So it became a haven for drug yeah. addicts yeah. and 
prostitution. Everything was illegal. The buildings were built illegally. Everything, the water, the electricity was stolen, you know. It was just a, a real terrible place. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so there, you know, if you wanted to get dental work very cheap, you go to Commonwealth City because there were dentists that were not authorized to practice dentistry well. in Hong Kong. You know, they're probably very good dentists. Yeah, they're yeah. going to have their English, British, whatever. Yeah, so yeah, you go yeah. to Calvin City and get your dental work done for only a third of the price yeah, of, yeah. of outside like that. But everything was illegal. And so the drugs were there everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the problem was that the police could not go there to do with anything mm-hmm. because it belongs to China. Yeah. If the police go in there, they're going to be a big diplomatic problem. Yeah. So, you know, about 60,000 people. So every day people are sick and die, but the analysts would not go in there, you oh, know. Wow. Uh, the police would not go in there. So every morning they would take the dead bodies and put them outside, and, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. they would come and collect the dead bodies for burial. Yeah. So, but the missionaries were allowed to go in. Why? Because we had clinics and teaching people English and helping the people. So, you know, and so when you go into the walled city, it's actually kind of going down, you know. So they had these very small entrances and they always have a triad guy that was watching the oh, thing. Oh, wow. You know, so if any guy's a policeman or even a tourist, you're not going to go there. But yeah. if you're a missionary, they will let, because you're going to be helping the people, maybe provide some food or, you know, some clinics and things like that. Yeah. So we'd go in there and we would share the gospel with the people. And you've heard about Joy Lo, which is tracing, chasing the driver. So what they do is they, they have these little hooches, you know, not very big. They build them out of some kind of material. Maybe it's just a small room. And they have all these guys and they take this heroin and they put it on a tinfoil. Mm-hmm. And then they have either a match or a candle and they heat it up. Yeah. So then the uh, smoke comes up, which is the hair of smoke. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get the thing of the dragon. It's kind of like a dragon, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the guys are inhaling all this stuff, you know? Yeah. But they're like, I used to work with, uh, in the red light district in LA with the drug addicts. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're drunk or on drugs or yeah. whatever but they're very friendly you know yeah. they're kind of very nice to talk to you know yeah. <laughs> and, and so we you know we go in there and we talk to them and you know and, and tell them about jesus and mm-hmm. you know maybe a few people will pray with us but not very many but lisa but after a while we began to get high ourselves yeah. you know so we had to get out of places we don't want to get out of drugs yeah so but i found that so this is one of the things in my story. To do drug addiction work, you need to have a lot of money and a lot of people. Mm-hmm. First of all, you had to have a halfway house, which we did right outside the walled city. It was a place where people could go for meetings and teaching. Yeah. But then we had an island, not me, but the ministry I worked with, yeah. had an island where the people would go and they would you know, do farming, mm-hmm. learn a skill. Yeah. And the idea was that they would be free from drugs and maybe stay there for a couple of years so they really get off of drugs and yeah. learn some simple skill and then come back into the society. Yeah. But the problem is wherever there's drug addicts, the drugs will find their way to that place. Yeah. You could not keep the drugs even out of this particular ministry oh, wow. center. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not the government. We cannot have like a prison kind of a thing with guards. You yeah. know? So the drugs would go in. So it's very hard to do 
drug addiction work. People like Jackie, and even people that come off of drugs, you don't know, they just take one cigarette, yeah. one more puff of whatever, and they're back on drugs, yeah. and they commit crimes, and you have to go to the, you know, the court and mm -hmm. to the police station and deal with that. So I, I, I said, I need to start a church. Mm -hmm. I need to start a church because I need people. I found a lot in America. I was yeah. only getting like a hundred dollars as much as it was, uh -oh. you know? You know, I didn't know anybody. That's, I need to have a church. I need to have people. Because yeah. if we're going to do ministry in China, we need a lot of people. So I'm going through the tram, in the tram to this ferry with, and this sister, her name is Esther. So we're going to take the boat to go to the island. So we're going to this part of Hong Kong, and I said, uh, what is this? Oh, this is the Western District of Hong Kong. And I said, uh, are there a lot of Christians here? Oh, almost no Christians. In fact, she said, no one has successfully started a church here. Wow. This is the devil's territory, because these people are either staunch Buddhists, mm -hmm. very superstitious people from yes. the Swatow, are they communists? Mm -hmm. And no one has been successful to start a church here. Wow. In fact, we say, in the other parts of Hong Kong, this is a missionary's graveyard. Wow. You don't want to come and start a church here. Yeah. Well, when I heard that, something rose up in me. How can you give a part of any place to the devil? Yeah. You know, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's yeah. and the fullness thereof. Yeah. You know, have you ever heard what Reinhard Bonnke said this? I he never forget. He said, I want to plunder hell to populate heaven, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> and uh, so I said, I, I mean, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you open the door, I will come and start a church here. Wow. Because these people need God more than anybody. I'm going to prove that the gospel is the power of yeah. God and I can preach the gospel. Yeah. So then later on, as I told you, you know, we're looking for a place uh, for a church, you mm -hmm. know, we call it the lady. It happens to be right on that very oh, street, wow. the very place where I said to the Lord, "I'm going to come and start a church here." You know, Amazing. so 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 that's why so that's why we we developed the church. You know, so I, I didn't continue in the uh, drug addiction ministry. You know, mm -hmm. and I resigned from that. Yeah, and I gave myself to starting the church, and then uh, from uh, from the very beginning, I think the second or third week. People were already beginning to speak in tongues, and we were very strong, charismatic. But we told the people, this church is for China. Wow. We are called to minister the gospel to wow. China. And so, of course, we didn't know much about China. It was completely close, not like North Korea. Mm -hmm. And so, but we would do our best. And so, one of you can go to China where the Chinese who lived in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And even that wasn't very, very safe. Yeah. So even going to China as a Hong Kong person, you were taking a risk. You, oh, know, wow. you could be accused of anything, you know. Yeah. So what we used to do is we would uh, we would get some food containers like beans or whatever piece, and we'd open up, dump out the uh, contents, and then put a little New Testament inside of it. Wow. And then we would seal the top of it and put it back on the label. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to customs, well, yeah, well, we'll have some food. You know, that time people in China have a lot of food, so we're taking up some food in. So we used to do that, you know, to smuggle Bibles into China. That's amazing. But, you know, we're not going to reach, you know, all the a billion people that yeah, yeah, very yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. So in 19, uh, so 1978, then China opened, and I was on the first tour to going to China, and I probably was the first missionary, because to my knowledge, 
there were no other missionaries wow. on that tour. Yeah. So at that time, Sunjin was just a village. Mm -hmm. So we didn't go to Sunjin, but we went directly to Guangzhou wow. on the train, which took forever, a great slow train now yeah. today. And uh, I went out on the street and began to talk to the people. Oh, I got a big crowd. You yeah, know, yeah. people are coming and they're staring at us. And so I began to talk to the people and found they were very, very friendly, you know. And, you know, I thought they maybe hated the Americans. So there was a big sign behind me that said, down with the American imperialists, running dogs. And I said, you really hate the Americans? Oh, no, no, no. That's just government propaganda. We never believe what the government says. Yeah. Everything they say, the opposite yeah. is the truth. <laughs> and actually, Americans are good friends. So they remain good, you know, the Chenault and the Flying Tigers, you know, when uh -huh. they flew the, you know, in World War II, they, yeah, yeah. they flew goods over the Burma hump and everything. Mm -hmm. So they had all oh, the Americans are good friends. We love Americans, and, you know. So, but I, I began to ask them about Christianity, you mm -hmm. know. Said, well, we've heard about that, but don't know much about that, you yeah. know. So, there was a young man, his name is uh, Simon Lamb, he's now in America, pastor in one of our churches. So he escaped to Hong Kong mm -hmm. by swimming, oh, okay? Wow. And uh, this bay is called Dai Huan, the big whatever, it's, it's one of the bays in Sumter. Mm -hmm. So he swam and um, he got to Hong Kong. And so I met him on the street and gave him a, a track. Now, his father told him before he left uh, China, if you ever get to Hong Kong, please find a church and find a pastor. Yeah. Now his father's story was, they originally were in Singapore mm -hmm. and he was a Christian, but he was a patriotic Chinese and he was involved in the political communist activities mm -hmm. in Singapore. Because at that time, you're Chinese, your nation is great, you want to make you know, Singapore communists, whatever. And then his son, his name was Simon, he said, well, I'm gonna be a red guard. Now, before he was told that China had made so much progress and there was no more beggars and prostitutes and drug addicts, so he became a red guard and they traveled all over China but found, oh, there's prostitutes everywhere. And there's beggars everywhere, mm -hmm. and there's drug addicts everywhere. Yeah. And then there's all these red guards fighting one another and fighting the Red Army, and this mm -hmm. is terrible. I mean, this whole thing is a big lie. This whole thing about communism and the yeah. Cultural Revolution and all this is a big lie, you know? So he determined, I need to go to Hong Kong. So I met him on the street, mm -hmm. and uh, he came, you know, called me up and came to my church, and later on he was married and went to America and him and his wife are now pastoring the church. He had two sisters that also escaped to Hong Kong mm -hmm. and we helped them and the whole thing. And so he's now the only person I know in my church that comes from China. Yeah. Others are just local young people. So I said, do you know anything about the church in China? And he said, well, I don't know, but my father may know because he's a Christian. So. Yes, his father said, yes, now, we know a lot about the Christians, but I don't, get, don't dare to go to church because mm -hmm. the Red Guards will find me. But I know of a place in Guangxi, there's a district there, and there's 40,000 people, mm -hmm. and they're Christians, but they only have one Bible. That's what he heard. Wow. So I heard that, and I said, I know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to give you 
the Bible. Yeah. So we begin to organize groups uh, from America, even local people to take Bibles into China. Mm-hmm. And China just had opened up, and there was virtually no custom check, mm-hmm. especially for foreigners. Now, you know, China was very poor. They had ration coupons. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to get food to eat, having money wasn't enough. You need to have a ration coupon. Mm-hmm. And they would give it to different work units or different factories, you know, according to the number of people. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to get clothes, you need to have a cloth coupon. And China was so very poor. I mean, one time we went to Xi'an on this tour and having a restaurant meal with all the foreigners. And they had a lot of nice food, but a lot of foreigners don't like the Chinese food. Mm-hmm. And so there's people outside looking through the glass window. And all the food is on our table. So we get up because they don't like Chinese food. I mean, to me, it's wonderful, but yeah. some of them are not used to that, uh-huh. you know, like the fish with the head. Oh, I kind of yeah. touch them like that. <laughs> so, so we get up, and the people rush in to get the food. And the, the restaurant owner will let them do that because yeah. these people are literally hungry. They're not starving to death, but they're definitely very... Everyone's very thin and... And, and walked very slowly because they just were not getting enough nutrition. Yeah, so yeah. one foreigner comes in and probably the money that he has in his wallet is more than a hundred people would make in a, a month or a year, yeah. you know? Yeah. So they don't want to give you any problem because you're bringing money into China. So, so I remember one time we had a whole group of about 60 people and we took the hydro for it. it was a special boat and each person they loaded with about 150 pounds of Bibles. We'd have backpacks and heavy cases and these wow. kind of cases yeah, and everything, yeah. you know. So we're, we're going through customs, and, and I was there, and the custom man couldn't speak much. He said, welcome China. Oh, thank you. How long stay China? Uh, oh, three days. Oh, what is all that you have? Food. We don't like Chinese food. We brought our own food. Yeah. Oh, three days. You must be very hungry. <laughs> yes, sir, very hungry. You know? He probably knew what it was, but he's not going to give us a hard time. Yeah, yeah. So it was because in those early years, uh, they had no custom check, and every month we'd have hundreds and hundreds of people taking Bibles. We were able to take in many thousands of Bibles to China. Incredible. And so how we'd work it was we'd take it to Guangzhou, and uh, we would put the luggage in our bikes, just, you know, backpacks or mm-hmm. these kind of suitcases or whatever, and put it in the left luggage section. And uh, then the Christians in northern China, Henan, Anhui, these places, they knew about Bibles coming to Hong Kong, mm-hmm. I mean, coming to China. Yeah. So they would, every second week or so, would come down to pick up the Bible. So we would go to the left luggage section and take out our luggage. She had to pay a small storage charge for it. Mm-hmm. Take them to our hotel rooms and put them in these big boxes. Yeah. They would buy these boxes. Then we would take them, they would take them to the train station to ship them back to Hunan or wherever. Yeah. It was very easy to do at that time. Mm-hmm. So that's how we did the ministry. And you know, after oh, a long time, over a year, two years, you know, they said, how can you do this? Every month you're bringing us thousands of Bibles and, you know, we know it's expensive and, you know, just buying the Bibles and all that and the people and your church isn't that big, just a little mm-hmm. church of 100, 200 people. Yeah. I said, well, 
It's true, we're not wealthy, our church isn't that big, but we're part of the spirit-filled body of Christ. And we have a lot of spirit-filled friends that live in, you know, Malaysia, and yeah. Taiwan, and the United States, and the UK, and they really love China. So these young people, you know, they'll have a bake sale or save up their money or something and yeah. get the cheapest ticket to come to Hong Kong. And we have some housing in Hong Kong we rented for them to stay because all the tunnels have always been very expensive, you know. Yeah. And then we have this ministry called Donkeys for Jesus, taking Bibles to China. Wow. So, and, but the thing is, these are all spirit-filled people because mm-hmm. they're spirit-filled people that Holy Spirit gives you vision to preach the gospel. Secondly, you know, they have faith that God will meet their needs. Yeah. And so they said, oh, well, we've heard a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, basically their churches were related to the China Inland Mission. And so they were very strong evangelical people. Yeah. And of course they believed in the Holy Spirit, but they didn't know a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But of course they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They were people who were praying. So... There were miracles before because they prayed, you mm-hmm. know, like in James chapter 5, if yeah. anyone is sick, invite the elders to come and, you know, yeah. perfect. So they would see miracles. But then I went because they wanted to know more about the Holy Spirit. From 1988, they invited me to go to the village area mm-hmm. to share about, you know, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we would get there and begin prayer meeting about 4.30 in the morning. They pray for two hours. Really, they wow. pray in China. Yeah. And then about, they have, you know, wash their face and have a very simple breakfast. Mm. And I would teach basically the whole day until about 9 o'clock. Wow. Taking about maybe uh, two to three meal breaks. The rest of the time, I'm teaching. Wow. Now, that was before I had computers and mm-hmm. videos and things like that. Yeah. So I just stood with the Bible, yeah. and I would just go through the Bible about the New Testament church, the work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of prayer, Mm -hmm. you know. But after each time you teach about two to three hours, I mean, standing there teaching two to three hours, and they're all sitting there listening, taking their notes. But after maybe two hours, I would say, okay, let's take a break and pray. Uh So I get people to pray. And I would begin to lay hands on to pray. And of course, he would always pray aloud because that's even the three self church, everyone prays aloud. Mm -hmm. The child, that's just how Chinese do that. Yeah. But then I wanted them to speak in tongues. Yeah. And so one by one, they began to speak in tongues. Over those years, we saw literally thousands of people filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. And then, like I mentioned, before people were healed because they were people of prayer. Mm-hmm. But now some people have the gifts of healing. Yeah. So when you have the gifts of healing, there's different gifts for different diseases. And then they yeah. have you know, words of knowledge and casting out of demons. So. So some of the groups that had maybe tens of thousands of people devote to millions of people, not because of me, but because they received the Holy Spirit. It was a tremendous honor for me to be with Pastor Dennis. And I was extremely humbled because when I arrived at his office, there was already a professional camera crew that had come wanting to produce a documentary about Pastor Dennis. And Pastor Dennis asked him nicely that he he wasn't able to do it at that time because he needed to do this interview with, you know, regular old John Kim with this dinky field recorder. And I hope you all are encouraged with this interview. Bless you guys.